Hey, Robert. Hey, Yaron. Happy New Year. We're in yeah. uh, January 4th, we're recording this. And so uh, we've just celebrated New Year's. And, uh, you know, New Year's are always a good time for reflection about how things uh, went in the year and uh, what to look forward to uh, next year. So uh, you're kind of pictures freezing a little bit. So hopefully, hopefully we'll, hopefully everything will work. But um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about 2022. It was a, for what we do, the world of finance and looking at uh, the intersection between finance and technology. Um, what a year. It, it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty crazy. We get one of these, like one, one of it, once every 10 years, we get a, a year like this. Uh, it does seem like that's about right. Uh, the last time, of course, we now call the great financial crisis and, and the great recession. Uh, but it, it was a very different animal. And yeah. before that, you have to go back to 2001. So yeah. Uh, well, dot com bubble bursting. And before that, it was the SNL crisis. Not exactly 10 years, but but once a decade, we get something exciting. It seems like it. So everyone, you know, put it on your calendar for... <laughs> around 2030. So um, let's talk about some of it from, from, from the perspective of ingenuism. What were some of the interesting things that happened uh, uh, in, in, uh, in the economy more broadly, and then, uh, and then basically in the, in the financial industry? Well, the, the two big things of 2022, because we started the year uh, pretty, people were pretty optimistic, you know, uh, technology stocks, uh, technology investment, crypto, everything was was still doing well, you know, off its peaks, but not in any way that caused people any angst or concern. And then, of course, that all changed. And it's hard to say exactly what the catalyst was. I mean, everyone points to the Fed's shifting its regime, but that wasn't really a mystery that that was going to happen, yep. given yep. that inflation showed up in the fourth quarter of uh, 2021. Uh, but maybe that was it. Maybe it was the war in Ukraine. Maybe it was some combination. Uh, well, it could also be the fact that, you know, in the fourth quarter, people were convincing themselves that inflation was transitory, that it wasn't going to stay, that it was supply chain related, that it... And it was somewhat supply chain related, but but there was no thing, nothing in this. And I think the shift that happened at the Fed and in the markets is, shit, this is this is real. It's it's actual inflation. It's it's not just going to go away in a month or two. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, wishful thinking uh, that went all the way back into mid twenty twenty one. By the end of twenty twenty two, I think any reasonable person would have shoved that aside. But of course, the you could argue that the Board of uh, the Federal Governors, Board of Reserves, the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors. Yes. It's a group of reasonable people. So maybe that that's overstating it. Uh, but the other big thing we learned, which, you know, we've been talking for a while about, you know, what, what is real and what is not in crypto, where is it going to end up? Um, what, what's going to be revealed? Because crypto reinvented a lot of the financial system in new and exciting ways uh, and, and very quickly and things, rose and then we subsequently saw fell very, very quickly. Uh, and so we found out what a bridge too far was, which uh, seems to have been the algorithmic uh, stable coins. And once it's the bridges started to tumble, uh, we've all been, I think, pretty shocked at just how deep the, the fragility went. 
So we saw inflation rise and it may have been related to, but we also saw crypto tumble. And now we've sort of come full circle to where the enthusiasm about technology, the enthusiasm about progress, the, the enthusiasm, enthusiasm about crypto um, is, is sort of back to square one. And, and, uh, and yes, I mean, I, I, the hope is that, that it won't last very long in terms of enthusiasm. Um, it might be good for the markets to kind of readjust valuations, so as to as to to uh, so that, so maybe put crypto and some of the other technologies on a healthier footing moving forward. I think a lot of, I mean, what we discovered is a lot of crypto was built on on hot air, on uh, on a lot of passion, on a lot of belief, and a lot of faith, and some fraud. Um, and, uh, and some, uh, you know, whim, but, but hopefully there's something underneath it all that then you can actually build a proper industry out of. I mean, we saw that with the dot-com bubble, certainly that a lot of the hot air was blown out of that during the 2000, 2001 crash. And then slowly it took time, but slowly 2002 and on the real world changing industry was built. And it's important to note that it wasn't that there were a bunch of winners and a bunch of losers and the losers disappeared. That, that did happen, but most of the big winners actually showed up post the, uh, the correction, you know, the, the deflation of the dot-com bubble. Uh, cloud computing, uh, social media, and social networks, the iPhone, all those things showed up well after the peak of the first bubble. So to point at, okay, crypto has crashed, it was obviously all just nonsense. Um, that's, that's still possible. That's yeah. one of the things I think we're gonna learn this year and next year. Uh, but it it's certainly not a logical conclusion. Yeah, you can't conclude from the crash that that is what's gonna happen, that that is, that that is the nature of crypto. And there's still a lot of value in crypto. There's still a lot of very smart people continuing to invest in crypto and continuing to hold on to their uh, to the assets in crypto. Uh, you know, people like uh, Mark Andreessen and Andreessen Horowitz, the venture capitalist firm, still making significant investment in the space. And we we talked about this in the past. They're still looking for that killer app. They're looking for something that differentiates crypto from the rest of technology and that everybody actually wants to use. Um, I don't, we don't think that's going to be money, but it'll be interesting what it is, what kind of money, potential money substitute or what, what kind of product it actually is. Right. And it'll probably involve money, yeah. but, but yes, I don't think it's going to be just, oh, let's replace the payment systems. And the thing that uh, we sort of lean towards and have for a while, um, and, and other people have pointed to is something that is fully integrated in your life that allows for transactions, but allows for a very broad range of tra transactions. I think uh, Elon Musk called it the anything app. Yes. Uh, and I think that that is something where a permissionless, you know, some blend of trust and, and, and verification or what people like to call trustless uh, and, and the ability to score is very important. And one thing that we've seen over time is that anytime you, you introduce a system for scoring, it starts out, it has in the past started out to be extraordinarily valuable and then the value has rapidly degraded. So you look at Amazon reviews, you look at um, you know, restaurant reviews, you, that, that's anything that is highly quantified 
and is easily gamed, it ends up, you end up with massive rate inflation and it, it becomes much less valuable. I mean, it used to be that uh, you could look at Amazon and if it was a, a 4.7 ranked product, you know, it was extraordinary because the average product was maybe three and a half. And now the average is 4.7 and 4.9 is maybe good. Great it, inflation, yes. It's been enormous great inflation and having something that's more transparent and you know more robust against that kind of inflation would be extremely valuable for our daily lives because we're interacting with people all over the world at this point. And the great thing about money is that it's something that can easily be used without any concern about, okay, who am I transacting with? Are they good for it? Is, this, is their money inflated in some way? Um, but it's also one size fits all has its, its own downsides. So something in crypto that is more personalized, more one size fits many, uh, and also has the characteristics of money where you can completely count on what you're getting, that there isn't any hidden inflation, that would be really invaluable. Yeah. So, you know, one thing we're looking forward to is, is to see how this all evolves in the next year. Actually, in the next probably five to 10 years, we might not know that much more next year. Uh, but but it things are going to things are good. Investments are being made. Things are going to change. And uh, uh, it, it's going to be an interesting period of time. It is. And it's only one data point. But coming out of the dot com uh, boom and bust, the new and really valuable um, business model showed up very quickly. It's almost as if you had to clear the easy money out of the, the way. And, and of course, that, that's very logical. I'm not saying it's true, but I think it's true because if you all you have to do is start a web, you know, web online store, a web-based portal, uh, anything on the web, and you can become a billionaire, everyone's going to do that, even yep. if it doesn't really add that much value. And if all you have to do is start a crypto exchange or create a token or without really finding a way to add value and you can become a billionaire, of course, everyone's going to do that. And once that opportunity is gone, then people have to start looking harder. And it turned out with the internet, there was some extraordinarily much, much, much more valuable opportunities that were hidden behind that, that chat. So looking back in last year, what do you think is going to be, I mean, we, a lot of technologies seem to have been brought down the size, if you will, you know, crypto came down, Tesla's gone down. A lot of the, a lot of the technologies that really did well during 2020, during COVID, Zoom, other companies uh, have, have, uh, have been revalued uh, to, to more properly reflect kind of the, 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 the value they have on an ongoing basis on the competition. I mean, at the time of Zoom, Zoom was almost it. It was like, but now, I mean, we use Teams as much as we use Zeems. Other, other people are using lots of other things. What do you think of some of the technologies that came out of 2022? I mean, I've got some in mind that are, that are going to be with us, that are new, revolutionary, and, and, and uh, you know, a, a substantial new moves forward. Well, that's always a difficult question. Uh, I, th I think that it is going to be... Uh, very interesting over the next couple of years because it's hard. It, I think as bad as 2022 was for technology in the asset markets, uh, it, it it was really was worse <laughs> because of inflation. I mean, if yep. you think about the Nasdaq going down 33%, that that's 
really bad, but then you take into account that inflation was 7%, that means you, you, know, you had a negative real return of 40%. And there's been no recession. It was simply air coming out of, of that, that trough of the, the, the enthusiasm was at a level of, I was gonna say a bubble, but I hate to say that because it's a really overused and poorly defined term. Uh, and so if you look at any given company, Honestly, I have no idea. You know, is, is Tesla come down to a point where it, it's going to, as a stock, it's going to do well in 2023? I don't know. I do know that they were wildly um, trying to make their numbers at the end of the fourth quarter because my brother leased a, a Tesla in the last week of the year. And if he had waited two more days, he would have saved $5,000. Uh, they were really trying to make their numbers and they didn't even come close. Yeah. And, and so... I'm not saying anything good or bad about Tesla on that. You know, Tesla had 40% sales growth last year, which you know most companies would die for. Yep. And they were priced for more. Uh, but if you look at technology as a whole, I think there's a real benefit to clearing out the me too type of investments. The, oh, let's just start another cryptocurrency or let's just start another social network or let's just start another... Um, work from home supporting app or and start moving on to, to something new now what that new will look like you know that that's I, I hesitate to predict and I'm really curious what your ideas are because we well my ideas are outside of that world because I think that world is so well recognized and priced and valued I don't have a, an opinion that's greater than my I mean I, I go back to what I think I probably said exactly last year is the same thing I'm most excited about what's going on in biotech and um and and what's going on in some of these therapeutics immunotherapy we've talked about this and and you know there was this uh colon cancer study where 13 of 13 patients 100% cured never before seen anything like it and and they're using now mrna uh technology to deliver immunotherapy drugs and and that's exciting uh, CRISPR still excites me. I mean, the idea of gene splicing. So I, I think something that's under the radar because we tend to be more interested, the world tends to be more interested in iPhones and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, yet one has to get sick to really get excited about, I guess, the, but the, the, the biotech stuff that's happening, there are real breakthroughs in the background that don't get a lot of press that I am, uh, super excited about their potential and 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 what they're going to bring about. So that's that's where I uh, have, have found the most exciting things happening. The other one I I, I just learned the other day. Do you know that that NASA launched um, a spacecraft uh, that uh, basically crashed into a moon of an asteroid to shift its orbit to test out what would happen if they had to try to shift an orbit. And it like worked spectacularly well. It was a refrigerator size. That is so cool. I mean, and it didn't get anywhere near as much press, but you know, the, what's that movie where, where they go out and they, they try to destroy the asteroid. It's kind of a uh, fun, crazy. Armageddon, but it, Armageddon. It's, it's super fun. Asteroid. Yeah. Super stupid, but super fun. And, uh, but, but, there's a reality. We have technology that can do that. That's, you know, at least the first test proved that it's doable. Uh, and yeah, and then the SpaceX stuff is is also really exciting. 
Yeah, I think I, I agree with all that. I think that in the, the realm of biotechnology, it's one of those areas that uh, it's easy to get excited about. I'm excited about. And I think the natural human tendency to overestimate what is yeah. the change that's going to be in the next year or two um, and underestimate what is going to happen in the next decade or two is really present in that particular area that we may not see, I mean, we may see breakthroughs. Like in 2020, we got the, the COVID vaccine, which yeah. nobody saw coming. And so it definitely could happen. But what is almost, I think, guaranteed is that there are going to be those kind of breakthroughs and even more astonishing breakthroughs that happen over the next uh, five to 10, maybe uh, even have to wait till up to 20 years, but that is going to completely change the world. And what I love about uh, NASA, I'm willing to accept 20 years. Beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. How not acceptable. I, not acceptable. 20, 20 years. Yeah, 20 years when they they uh, are able to reverse aging in 20 years, and you're going to find that completely acceptable. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and and the NASA story, I did see that, and I thought it was cool. I mean, I think it's cool that they could actually hit it from so far yeah, away. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, it's hard for people's brains to wrap around the distances here, but you know, it's something along the lines of throwing a football across the country and and you know hitting the receiver's hands. Uh, and, and and it was it hit it at fourteen thousand miles power. And you have to be <laughs> which you can't even fast to to be able to move it unless you're sending something huge. Yeah. Uh, and and the, what was most exciting though is the fact that NASA did it because. I don't think in the absence of SpaceX, I'm just totally making this up, but I don't think NASA does that. I don't think that they're willing to go out and say, let's trash yeah. this. Um, and, and not because they aren't willing. I'm sure the NASA engineers would love to be blowing things up all the time, but because they don't want to be prodded in front of Congress and said, why are you wasting money? You know, we have so many things we need to do down here and you're shooting rockets. And if you think about that, the process of trying to deflect an asteroid, if the first time you try it in reality, you know, outside of the simulation is when it counts, you're basically dead. And I think that was, that's what happened. I, I did not watch the entire movie, but don't look up. They were trying to do something <laughs> with the asteroid and it didn't work. And of course yeah. it didn't work because they threw it together at the last second. Uh, yeah. if, but to actually send it up and, and say, okay, how, what are we going to learn about this? But then what else are we going to learn about yep. space and space travel and commercializing space and getting to asteroids and moving asteroids? And it's always hard to predict what lessons will be learned. And if you have one that you definitely want to learn, then everything else is going to be icing on the cake. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. The SpaceX competition, the SpaceX mentality of crazy big things of, of being willing to fail small in order to achieve big, that is rubbing off on NASA a little bit. So that is the, that, that is the beauty of, of having uh, a competition over space. Um, so I, I, I look forward to even bigger things uh, out of space. Um, the kind of technology coming out of that in the next, uh, in the next few, uh, certainly in the next few decades. So are you a, a potential space tourist? Uh, I know you don't love heights. I don't love heights. Um, I, I can't imagine. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I never say never. Um, I, I think if, it could, if the price was right, yeah, I mean, it would be so crazy. It would be so, yeah, special. Then, yeah, I, I, potentially, yes. Um, 
you know, if, if um, Shatner could do it at what age 92. Yeah. And, uh, you know. You're going to wait to have your age reversed at age 80 and then you'll go as a 40 year old. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So I think my, I think if it, my favorite book that I read this year, the one that had the most impact on me uh, and was, was Chip War. And, uh, and it's a book by uh, Chris Miller about the semiconductor industry and uh, the, 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 the history of it. And then a lot of time span of kind of where we are today and the geopolitics of it, which I found fascinating as well. And, and I know you read it and, and really enjoyed it, but it really had an impact on me. And most books don't really have that big of an impact. I mean, I find stuff interesting, but this one really started to cause me to shift my thinking about certain things. Um, so, you know, and I think it was a combination of the history, which I didn't really know I knew pieces of, and it's an inspiring history. It's just a, and it's a history completely consistent with kind of all the themes around the genuism, the competition, the, uh, what is necessary. Um, and then, but also uh, just the, the importance of semiconductors, which I don't think I'd had a full appreciation of. Um, so so I, I think we're going to talk about the book more next time, but maybe let's just talk a little bit about it here and then delve deeper into it um, next show. Well, I have the same experience to the book. Um, you've recommended a lot of books to me and some of them I've loved and some of them I haven't. Yeah. And so I went into it thinking, you know, th this is worth reading because Yaron recommended it. Uh, but it turned out to be a book that I wish I had read much sooner. Yep. Uh, and, and it is for the exact same reason that when a book gives you thoughts that you weren't having before and points you in directions that you, you hadn't considered before, it's a big deal. Uh, and, you know, I'm always skeptical of any book that has war in the title that isn't actually about a war because, you know, we use these um, analogies, the, the war and the combat analogies in uh, commerce and the economy all the time. And, and it's, I mean, it's just flat up wrong most of the time. Uh, the importance of, of uh, competition is undoubtedly the case. Uh, but really everything else is collaboration, collaboration with companies, with their, their customers, mm -hmm. with their suppliers. And in fact, I knew going into reading the book that, that there's enormous collaboration within the chip industry. The you know, days of someone having a fully vertically integrated, someone doing from silicone all the way up to the final chip, they're, they're long gone. Uh, and so I, I didn't think this, this was going to be a very good book, and I was completely wrong. Uh, and, and part of it is that the technology has really evolved past where I, where, where I had been educated. So you know, the, I had no idea about 3D transistors. I knew they were putting transistors in at greater and greater densities, but I had no idea how that was happening uh, and, and what kind of technological challenges that created. Uh, so that's super cool and it's worth reading the book just for that. But where from an ingenuism perspective where it gets really interesting is it, it's almost an edge case in that it made me think about the situations where the fact that people are connected, not in a collaboration sense, but in a knowledge sense, which I think is really fundamental to why the world has made so much progress in the last few hundred years, 
that when things get complex enough that just being connected isn't enough. So I know a lot more about how the semiconductor industry is producing the miracles that it's producing and what the roadmap is to continue that, why Moore's Law has been able to go on. But I couldn't do any of it. Uh, and I could study for uh, five years and I wouldn't be able to actually replicate what's being done. So the, the idea that we you know, stand on the shoulders of giants and then, and then reach even higher, it's still true, but in areas like semiconductors, it has really changed. And right, of course, this is how it always works, right after reading the book and getting that insight and really having to grapple with that, uh, there was a, uh, let's see, a works in progress post. It was, I think it came out today, uh, but it was about statistics. And of yep. course, we went to graduate school, we learned statistics and we use statistics in, in our research. And uh, I feel like I have a, a high level of understanding of statistics. And, and you know, when, when I was reading this, I realized that it's a lot like my understanding of, of chips. I was trained as an electrical engineer. I know how a transistor works. I, but I don't really understand it. And I don't really understand statistics. Uh, I just understand enough to think that I understand it. Yeah. And it, it's something where, you know, connecting me to a statistics book or having all of the statistics uh, that, that's been developed over the centuries. And there's a whole nother angle of whether even traditional statistics is worth much in the real world. But even if you, if you say Bayesian statistics, uh, that even being connected to all that, it doesn't really give me a mastery that would be necessary to know what to use, when to use it, and how to interpret it in every single situation. And it just makes me wonder how much more of this layer of having a, the information being not enough, but having to have some level of experience or institutional knowledge uh, is necessary for ingenuism to really produce the kind of results that, that we've been saying it produces. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things, I mean, in the book that, that you realize is, for example, China has all, I, I think they have scientists that have all the knowledge that do, let's say their American counterparts or their Taiwanese counterparts or their European counterparts, but they can't replicate what is being done at places like ASML, you know, the 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 a company that builds the manufacturing, um, uh, the 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 machines that basically imprint the chips, um, because ASML relies on a network of people doing things that have certain capacities, not just in terms of knowledge, but in terms of doing applying that knowledge in reality, and they can network all of that, so they have. A, an, another level of connection. It's not just connection of ideas. Now it's connection related to trade relationship, trust relationship. Um, and these people are actually executing for China to mimic that. It would be impossible. So, so for example, there's a story of the mirrors in the thing where they, they create these perfect mirrors. There's just no flaws or the flaw is so small. It, it's just uh, unthinkably small. Well, it's a company that's been making lenses for I don't know, 200 years in Germany uh, with the best technology in the world to make lenses and mirrors, they're the ones making it. You can't replicate 200 years of experience at doing that. You might have the theoretical knowledge of how to do a mirror like that, but to actually build it, 
that requires a whole other level of knowledge that is related to experience. And, uh, and for example, China doesn't yet have that. I mean, maybe one day they will, but they certainly don't have it today. And what you have in an area like semiconductors, and I think most interesting areas, is a rate of progress that means you're chasing a very rapidly moving target. So you could probably compress the 200 years into 20 years for yep. any individual component of what ASML does. And maybe it would take 40 years to do them all because you could do some of them in parallel, but it would take, but the, in 40 years, it, actually in five years, whatever you had accomplished would be obsolete. So it might actually take 200 years to catch up, not because it takes 200 years to replicate what's already been done, but because it takes 200 years to do that plus the next 200 years worth of progress, even if you're fully informed on what's happening and able to copy it. Uh, and that that's very different than when you know you see a company like Uber show up and then boom, Ubers pop up everywhere around the world, the equivalent in all major markets. Uh, we saw that with uh, eBay. We saw that with uh, basically every online business model because they're nice and compact and virtual and uh, you know the challenges are somewhere else. But when you get into really complicated physical items, uh, it, it's a much richer study than just people being connected. I think collaboration ends up being the key mm -hmm. more than the connection of knowledge itself. Yeah. Good. Well, that's uh, that's a good. Uh, we'll talk more about the book. I think next time um, there's there's a it's a it's a rich book. I'd love to get in touch with the author and see if maybe we can have him on. That would be fun. Um, but uh, yeah, happy New Year. It's, it's going to be a very interesting year. We just don't know how yet. Yes, it's going to be. We live in interesting times, as the old proverb said. See you next week. Thanks, Ron. Bye, Robert.